As I mentioned, this is a glorious season um, this morning. For my text, I picked Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 56, which is uh, a well-known text to us all, particularly at, at this season. It is the proclamation of the coming birth of our Savior, and that proclamation is given to two specific individuals. And even as I was preparing for this message, you know, it, it, it just kept occurring to me, what is it with the Christmas season that the world so loves it? What is it about the Christmas season that the world continues to love? And it has really given every effort to, to push the fundamental story of the Christmas message out of public view. And we, we, we've hallmarked it. We've sanitized it. And yet, this unwavering love and fascination with Christmas is really universal. Why is that? Is it the, that we gather as families, that we enjoy great food, that we open lots of good gifts if we're very blessed? These are all really wonderful things. But if you think about it, most of these things, if not all these things, are very present in many of our traditions and holidays. Heavens, Halloween actually has a greater expenditure of cash than Christmas, believe it or not. And yet, the world is fascinated by Christmas. I think it's something other than the family, the food, and the gifts, as great as those are. I think it is the inescapable message of a miracle. And you know, the world today... No one will deny this, is looking for a miracle. We think we have the answer. We often talk about the answer. We endlessly debate the answer. But deep down inside, we know we need a miracle. We wake up in the morning and we look at the headlines and we realize our world needs a miracle. We look at the interactions in our families oftentimes with our kids the challenges that we face. And we know we need a miracle in our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves and we look deep inside our hearts, we know we need a miracle. Well, this morning in our story, I wanted to get some help reading it. I really think um, for us to, to be deeply engaged with the story. You want to hear the male and the female voices. So Gwen was going to come up, and she is going to, she is going to help me read this portion of text, and then, and then we'll dive into it. So again, beginning with Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. When the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Thank you, Gwen. Well, the Christmas story is certainly the greatest miracle ever told. It encourages us that with God all things are possible and we can live life in light of true miracles. Well, to understand our story, let's take a look at some of our characters. We begin with Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was uh, of the division of Abijah, apparently part of the Levitical priesthood. There were divisions or groupings where they would divide up the responsibility of serving in the temple. This was a time when, uh, uh, by rotation, that his division would be, would be serving. And Zechariah, additionally, was going to be experiencing the double blessing of being able to actually go into the temple, which was something that very few priests were actually allowed to do. And if they were allowed to do it, they only were allowed to do it one time in their life. It was decided by lot, by luck. And this was his time. It says that he had a wife, Elizabeth, and that they were both righteous and blameless. These were deeply pious, deeply observant Jews. And it says that they were advanced in years. They were an elderly couple. So Zechariah is experiencing this opportunity in the temple at a time where he has been chosen for, quite literally, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the temple, to go into the Holy of Holies, to represent the nation of Israel, to bring incense and 
offer prayers for the nation. This is a big moment. Elizabeth, undoubtedly, as she is described as righteous and blameless, was a devout and faithful wife. She was described as being of the daughters of Aaron. Aaron, of course, being the original um, chosen priest from the Levitical priesthood. So both of them really have something of some prominence. They're certainly not at the top of the pecking order, but they, they have a lineage that is significant. They're also childless. In coming into their twilight years, Zechariah is undoubtedly, as he enters the temple and begins to pray for the nation, perhaps he is thinking about his concerns for the spiritual condition of his nation. How they have drifted from the message of the Bible. Elizabeth, by his side, feels that tension. And she also has the double weight of having walked through life in this role of some prominence and, 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 and uh, uh, public position, being without child, which was difficult, particularly in that culture and at that time. I think both Zechariah and Elizabeth on this day, they were hoping for a miracle. Our next character is Mary, of course, of Nazareth in Galilee. And it would be, it, it, is, it is a name that, that has great prominence in our world today. But back then, zero prominence. This is, this is an absolutely undistinguishable, undistinguishable backwater village. In fact, it wasn't until 1962 that the first archaeological records even mentions the name Nazareth anywhere other than in this reference in the New Testament. It's virtually unknown. And we get a picture of that from Nathaniel when he's introduced to Jesus of Nazareth. And what was his response? Can anything come good out of Nazareth? He was indicating it's not just a small town, it's probably a pretty seedy little town. Well, Mary undoubtedly was poor, extremely poor. She was certainly illiterate, probably 12 years old, maybe 14 at the tops. The scripture that she knew would really be only what she had heard in home or heard in the synagogue. And her future was the same future of thousands that had gone before her to marry, to have children, and live a very humble and a very poor life. She was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere, quite literally. Yet, the amazing thing is that the greatest story 
the greatest news ever proclaimed to the nation of Israel came to the humblest of people in that nation. Gabriel is introduced both in verse 11 as he presents himself to Zechariah in verse uh, in Jerusalem and in verse 26 to Mary in Nazareth. He's an angel. And we know what is an angel? An angel is a messenger of God. He arrives because he has something of God to tell you. And he brings a message. He brings a message to Zechariah. He brings a message to Mary. And the entire story, as we read this morning, I'm sure it just brings back memory over memory of Christmas seasons and reading this text and the magic of the Christmas season. But I think it's helpful when, when we remember and we try and put ourselves into the, the experience that Zachariah and Mary are experiencing. We think of everything biblical as magical and supernatural. This is a Jewish community, Jewish individuals who have not heard from God in 400 years. Malachi was the last book written in the Old Testament, and though it mentions clearly the coming Messiah, the Bible hasn't spoken, and a prophet hasn't been seen in the land. So I wouldn't say that they're naturally stepping into this experience prepared, if you will. but they respond in quite different ways. Gabriel to Zechariah in verse 13. It says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you should call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink strong wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah's response, and if we can put ourselves there and picture this scene of of Zechariah in in this day that he is undoubtedly feeling uh, excited. He's feeling blessed at the opportunity that he has to go into the temple. He's thinking about his responsibilities, the tasks, the steps that he has to go through with, with um, the ceremony that is required in the process. And 
to his way of thinking, he is most definitely by himself. And there is this being who says this to him seemingly without pause. And Zechariah's response is recorded in verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It was a response of doubt. It was a, a response of utter unbelief. It was a response that looked solely at what was visible and attainable in his mind. And we have to remember that uh, Zechariah, he knew the scriptures, and he knew the stories of Isaac being born to Abraham. He knew of the birth of Samson. He knew of the birth of Samuel. So he was familiar with God's divine intervention in miraculous births. And he was a priest. He was a man of faith. And on this day, he was offering prayers to God for the nation Israel. And talk about a response. The angel appears and says, your prayers are answered. But he responds with unbelief. I have to confess, I see myself in Zechariah. I respond often in this way, in unbelief. You know, I think we can go through our Christian life, we, we learn the promises, we proclaim the promises, and then we doubt. And we live a life in doubt. This indeed was a crisis of faith for Gabriel of cosmic proportions. I don't think we can understate it. Well, Gabriel responds to Zechariah saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. You know, to have Zacharias say, I don't see how this is possible. And he is saying that to clearly a supernatural being. I don't know if he has the same proportions that we do, if he was glowing. uh, But there was no doubt in his mind. He was filled with terror at the sight of this being. And it wasn't just because somebody else was in the, be- in, in the building. And Gabriel has to tell him, I am Gabriel. He, he says his name. He doesn't just say, I'm an angel. I'm, I, I'm a messenger of God. I am Gabriel. Remember Daniel, the prophecies of the messianic coming? the salvation of Israel. Remember what this is all about? And he goes on to say, I stand in the presence of God. 
I stand in the presence of God. That means he stands in the power of God. He stands in the authority of God. It doesn't matter that you're old. It doesn't matter that your wife is old. What matters is that God declares it. Well, then we turn to Nazareth. Gabriel makes an appearance with Mary. And in verse 28, he says to her, I'm certain gently and sweetly, as he would to a 12-year-old little girl, full of faith, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. He comforts Mary. And her response, like Zechariah, it says she was greatly troubled at the saying. Don't mistake greatly troubled for unbelief. Greatly troubled is being unsettled. Greatly troubled is being knocked off balance a bit. And I doubt anybody at seeing a supernatural being suddenly appearing before them cannot be a little unsettled. And that's what Mary was. And Gabriel says back to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This was not a small bit of news. This was not some change to her community. This was something that was going to impact her life, her family's life, her entire village's life, her entire nation's life. And Mary simply responds, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think it was a a, a timid question. It it, it was, I, I hate to even ask, but Wow, you know, how, 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 how are we going to do this? She just wants to know how, how it's going to happen. She's not doubting that it will happen. She just wants to know how it's going to happen. And Gabriel responds to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Gabriel, Gabriel continues his declaration to Mary, expanding on it, and... In, in telling her of things that I imagine the possibility of never, ever entered her mind. And yet she responds so beautifully. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This was, this was no small thing from a big picture, big, big picture perspective in terms of uh, uh, the implications of this to the nation, to the people, to the world. But don't let it escape you. This is no small thing to a 12-year little girl. She is 12 years old. She's unmarried. She lives in the Middle East. And she's going to be pregnant. That is terror. And that is a change to her life that I can't even imagine how you can process all of that. But in a simple word, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary responds with the most perfect example of humility, of faith, and obedience. And it goes on in verse 46, where um, you're familiar with the Magnificat, or Mary's song of praise, where she magnifies the Lord. The first half of it is, is um, Mary proclaiming what God has done for her personally. The second half of it is what God has done in the past. And if you were to look this up in your reference Bible, you would see reference over reference over reference over reference of old, the allusions to the Old Testament testifying to these things, which is phenomenal when you think about it that Mary is illiterate. She, she probably is not even allowed to study the scriptures the way men are allowed to study the scriptures. And yet she is captivated by the scriptures. She listens to the scriptures. She hears her father on the Sabbath reading the scriptures. Her parents share the promises of the scriptures. And she has kept these things in her heart. She is prepared for this moment. She says, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, I mean, screamed it with tears flowing down your face? My soul magnifies the Lord for what he has done. It is an expression of the heart of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. You know, you've got to remember one key verse, verse 45, when Mary is meeting with Elizabeth, and at the tail end of that, of, of Elizabeth dialogue, she says, And blessed is she who believed, believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Everything spoken to her was unbelievable. 
and incomprehensible. And yet, even Elizabeth, speaking in the Holy Spirit, recognizes that blessed is Mary. Why is she blessed? She's blessed because she believed the Lord. She believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise. Mary's response is to magnify the Lord. And it says then that she would be called blessed. And let us not escape that she is blessed. And she is a special woman. In fact, you know, I, I, I would say in some ways, because of Protestant response to inappropriate emphasis of Mary in the past that sometimes we don't give Mary the appreciation for what God did through her life and the blessing that she is to the church. And the model she really is for us. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the blessing for Mary. This is the blessing for every believer who knows the Christ born in their heart. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Or 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We are blessed. God met Mary, it says, in her humble estate. And it was indeed humble. Matthew 5, 3, later on, Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or David in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved, saves the crushed in spirit. And lastly, Mary magnified the Lord because she had a personal experience with her God. She experienced his power, his holiness, his mercy, and kindness. And she magnifies the Lord. It is the response of everyone who has been born of the Christ child. It is within our hearts to magnify the Lord, isn't it? Are you blessed? Are you of a humble estate? Have you experienced Christ in your heart? Magnify the Lord. Tell somebody this Advent season what God has done for you. Zechariah's song goes on and in um, verses 67 to 79. We don't have time to go into that. It would be a lot to consume this morning. But let's just say let's not be too hard on Zechariah. 
he was a, he was a good and faithful man. The scriptures tell us. It's just a fact that we can respond to God oftentimes with doubt and fear. Maybe a lot of times with doubt and fear. And perhaps mercifully, the angel responded to him by muting his speech and Later on, it talks about people having to sign to him. So he most likely was deaf as well. Nine months. He had a lot of time to think about this. A lot of time to meditate on it. And his song, if you want to go home and read, or his prophecy and read uh, Zachariah's proclamation, is beautiful. And he affirms everything the angel spoke to him about. But when we act in unbelief, in doubt, and in fear, the last thing we should do is speak. The last thing we should do is justify. The last thing we should do is, well, the reason for that was. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of meditation. It's a time to be quiet before the Lord and to know that he is God, to return to that, that place where we have a heart of Mary. The contrast between the two responses couldn't be more dramatic when you just break them down side by side. Doubt and fear, hope, faith, in obedience, I am the servant of the Lord. Doubt and fear, hope, faith, and obedience. You know, the amazing thing, when you look at the story, what happens in the end? Everything Gabriel promised to Zechariah was fulfilled. Everything Gabriel promised to Mary was fulfilled. God's Purposes and plan are not dependent upon us. God will accomplish all that he plans on accomplishing. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. We need not fear that because of my unbelief, something is going to go undone. God will accomplish his purposes. The the question is, are we going to participate in it all? You know, I find it interesting that at the end of this, Zechariah's role is done, and, and, and we don't see him in the scriptures again. Mary, all the way up to the resurrection, is there and prominent. You know, in this Advent season, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we looking for a miracle? Or do we think that things will pretty much remain unchanged? Are we looking for a miracle and patient? 
that if it doesn't happen in my time, we are certain it will still happen. Do you know, do you know that Christ is returning? He is returning. And he is returning to reward his people. John 10.10 tells us, The babe in the manger came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Romans 10.12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Gabriel proclaimed a miracle 2,000 years ago. Not just for Mary or Zechariah, or Elizabeth. It is for you and me and for all who come humbly by faith, believing that Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. There is eternal life. Jesus was born. He lived and he died a criminal's death so that you and I wouldn't have to. He rose that he might give us new life. Do you believe that? That's a miracle. And that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas miracle. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your word records so much of these events, Father God. We feel for Zachariah and Mary and Elizabeth Their lives are on display before the entire world. And yet through the path that they have walked, we have so much to learn, Father God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the perfect life that he lived. Thank you for the death that he willingly walked to being obedient to you. Thank you for raising him from the dead by the power of your spirit and that by faith in Christ, we can know that resurrected life as well. Oh, Father, go before us this Advent season. May magnifying you and your son be ever on our lips, Father God. May we proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ to a dying world, to a world desperate for a miracle. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.